Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Good morning, Way Fam. Good morning. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Uh, special welcome to, for those of you who are with us for the first time. Guys, I'd like to introduce you to my friend Derek. He is also a church planner. And that's right. He's over in New Mexico. Uh, that's the Wild West. This is the Wild Wild West, you know. But uh, it is so good to have you here. I'm so glad that you came and dropped by and visited. Uh, and with him, his family. Welcome. And anyone for the first time back there, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, please, uh, it, we ask that you fill out a connect card so that we can get stay in touch with you if you'd like. You can find those in those little containers in front of the, the pew that you're sitting in. But other than that, welcome. We are so thrilled to be together in the name of the Lord, in the house of the Lord. Amen. So uh, today we continue in our series of Esther. And so far it's been for me personally, such a privilege to study through this, to look, dig deeper into it, to look at the historical context that we find throughout this time. And it's truly been a, a tremendous blessing. And so today we continued, we continue in chapter two, we're gonna look at verse eight through 18. But before we look into our passage, I'd just like to share something with you. Last week, I had the honor of hearing several personal testimonies. And some of you guys, had the honor of hearing them with me as well. Uh, I heard and, and really learned a lot about those in my home group. We had a time of just sharing each other's stories. And I'll tell you, it was a true blessing. We heard stories from people where we were just amazed. We were thinking, what? There's no way that was you. In other words, it's a beautiful story of the Lord's redemption. It's a beautiful story of how he's brought us from one place to another, from death to life. That's really what our personal testimony is about. But here's the thing, though. It was very evident, too, that the Lord is just beginning in our lives. He's not done with us yet. He is currently positioning us and has been from the beginning of our days with purpose. And the purpose is ultimately to glorify him, to honor him, to praise him. Amen. And so some, we learned, were raised in, uh, in homes where they did not grow up knowing the gospel. It was something actually foreign to them. And so what happens is you kind of pursue and chase life looking for things to fill those voids, those longings that just uh, we innately have as human beings. And that's the experience of some folks, right? And then there were some who did, uh, uh, who were raised in the church and were raised by Christian families. And they never veered left or right. They stayed the course and they're doing well. And God's continuing to do that in their lives and use them. And then there's people like me, you know, others like myself as well, uh, had a Christian upbringing. And we had heard and we had known much of the Bible. And yet we had fallen to the pressures of the world. Can you relate to that? Some of you guys, perhaps. And we were left in question at times we were wondering if we could ever even be redeemed or even be loved again. After all, we, we did betray our God. And after all, it was our, our fault. It wasn't him. He's perfect. He's good. Or perhaps we didn't just understand. Maybe we, we heard it, but it didn't sink in. Maybe we just didn't understand what truly was the gospel. We didn't realize our need for a savior. That was my personal experience. 
Can you relate? Maybe, maybe not. And as the stories developed, again, more and more clearly, it just was displayed. God is not done with us. He is currently moving. He's working in his divine sovereignty. He has turned our mourning into dancing. He has turned uh, or he has made beautiful things out of ashes. He has redeemed us to himself and has positioned us with purpose, past and all, and that's great news. For our God wastes not even one ounce of our pain. He wastes not one ounce of our suffering. He does not leave us in shame. That is a beautiful God that I'd like to tell you about today. Now those moments when we lacked courage, commitment for him, they're actually not meaningless. You know, sometimes I've thought back and I've thought, man, I've wasted so much of my life, you know? But as I look back, hindsight 2020, we say, I realize, well, those were not meaningless. For each step of the way, the Lord was preparing me for what was, has even happened in the past already or is going to happen in the future. None of it was a waste. And so regardless of our poor decisions or the poor decisions of someone else, we've talked about this last week, whether uh, it affects us directly or indirectly, but regardless of poor decisions uh, and the consequences that follow, here's the good news as well. We are not qualis- uh, disqualified from contending for God in the future. That's great news. So even though we have fallen, even though we have fallen short of the glory of God, and Romans makes it clear, all of us have, we're not disqualified. It's not over yet. Are you still breathing? Are you still living? Are you still on this side of eternity? It's not over. God is still working, and he's working all things for the good of those who love him. Amen? Amen? Now, as we continue now in chapter 2 of Esther, you'll notice that some key characters here seemingly display a lack of courage. Or maybe you didn't notice that if you read this passage. But I saw that there was a lack of courage and that they may be succumbed to, which, to that which was pressuring in, in their world. They concealed their convictions and yet the Lord positions them favorably. I had a pastor in my past. In fact, it was the pastor who gave me the first opportunity to teach and lead. He used to say this, brother, favor ain't fair. It's just not. It's just what the Lord pours on us. And we see this in these characters. Favor undeserving. And yet it is a blessing of God. It is a grace of God. So together, let's read Esther chapter 2. We'll start at verse 8 to kind of just get a little uh, um, runway there. And then we'll read through uh, verse 18 today. It says this. So when the king's order... Or so when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in the custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women, or in the young woman pleased him, who is Haggai, and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her, and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was uh, doing, essentially, and what was happening to her. Verse 12. And when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, Uh, Since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices, 
and ointments for women. When the young woman, woman, excuse me, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her and from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, Abihail, sorry, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as her own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of, the, of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, who is Xerxes, into his royal place in the tenth month, which, was, which is the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her, on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we know that we're not here by coincidence. We know that each one of us are here, Lord Jesus, for a purpose. For that is what you do. You position us with purpose, Father. And so we ask that you would speak to us, that you would allow us to understand your word today. That you would help us, Father, be grown, Lord Father, in this manner that we would know more about you and who you are, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for this beautiful opportunity to just dive into your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now today's sermon title is Positioned with Purpose. That's really the focal point here. Uh, yes, we live in a world filled with temptation, amen? We, will, we live in a world of darkness. We live in a world that pressures us constantly, and yet God does not discard us. And that's great news. But instead, he positions us according to his purpose. Now, last week we read, quick review, that King Xerxes agreed with and, made, and moved forward with the beauty contest that the young men suggested. Right? He thought it was such a great idea that essentially you have this beauty contest within the 127 provinces of the Empire of Persia. And uh, Esther was one of those young women who was essentially drafted into it. Now, the aim in mind was to find the next queen, the one who would replace Vashti, who we know was the best. Right. Now, we had also learned that Hadassah, who is Esther, was lovely to look at is how the Bible describes her. She was attractive, and as a result of her good looks, she was taken into the palace to contend for the position of queen. Now, the Bible does not tell us uh, that this is what Esther wanted to do, nor does it tell us if she or Mordecai put up a fight. Now, I have three beautiful daughters, and I know that's biased, but I, I do believe that they're very beautiful. Now, if let's say I was in that situation and if the king made a draft looking for attractive young women and if they came to my home and asked for my daughters, I promise you I would put up a fight. I would not say, yeah, go ahead. Good luck, sweetheart. You know, enjoy yourself. Absolutely not. I would not do that. I would kick and scream and do whatever I could. But here's the reality. Uh, we're not told, you know, whether or not uh, Esther or Mordecai did such a thing, but I imagine so. But the one thing that's important for us to note is that that's not the world we live in. You know, the, the ancient Persian world was very different. 
You didn't have the luxuries that we have today. Today we're able to protest, as you've seen in the news. Today we're able to throw fits. You know, today we're able to say, uh, heck no, techno. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, whatever expression you want to say, to say, yeah, I'm not having it. In this time, the king ruled. He was lord over the subjects and people, right? And in addition to that, remember, Mordecai and Esther were exiles from a different nation into this land. So there were foreigners in Persia. My personal take, and I think that this is a solid one personally, is that they didn't really have a choice. They had to go, okay? So let's, let's just consider that. Let's just put that in context there. And so, again, I asked myself, why did Mordecai allow it? Because he had to. He was under pressure. Why did Esther comply to this draft? Because maybe she didn't have a choice. And so sometimes we just have to trust God, right? Which is what we should do all the time anyway. And I think that the reason, uh, again, had to do a lot with those pressures. How many of you guys, I'll ask you this right now, are currently experiencing some kind of pressure? And I think all of us can maybe say, yeah, I feel pressured in this way or that way. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever complied with something that you didn't agree with simply because of that level of pressure? You know, I think if I look back in my life, I can say, yeah, I've done a few things in my past that I didn't necessarily want to do, but it was either peer pressure or it was something else. I have a confession to make. Some of you guys know this, but some of you guys do not know this. I picked up smoking for a while when I was, before I met my wife, otherwise she would not have even given me any, any minute, right? I picked, amen, she said amen. I picked up smoking for a while, and the reason why I did that is because I was pressured to do it. I was pressured by the group of peers that I was with and by the young woman that I was attracted to at the time. You too, right? <laughs> and so again we do things we make decisions simply because we're under pressure it's not necessarily the best thing in fact sometimes they're the worst decisions we make and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to call this first section as we look at it, at it a little bit closer under pressure focus on verse 9 through 11 under pressure just consider this with me as we study this portion here because not only was Esther in a situation that was highly likely not of her doing, she was also now living in a way completely foreign to her. Remember, she's a Jew and she's living in a Persian palace at this point. She was now being treated like royalty and she was being offered all kinds of luxuries. That would not have been right for a Jew to, that, uh, all these luxuries would actually would not have been right for a Jew to partake in. In fact, I want to uh, read this and then point some, some truths out to you. Verse uh, 9 through 11 says this, And the young woman pleased him, who we're talking about the eunuch here, Haggai, and she won his favor. And, she quickly provide, and he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen women from the king's palace and advanced her and the young woman to the best place in the harem. You see, Esther's being uh, uh, favored here, and so she's being offered all these beautiful luxuries. You might be thinking, well, that sounds really nice. It sounds like a vacation. Remember, this is a harem, okay? <laughs> this is not a good place to be. And so Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai, who was her adopted father, had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and uh, what was happening to her. Now, clearly, the Lord granted Esther favor, yes? And we'll come back to this because I want to focus on that favor that we see over Esther's, Esther there. Esther was quickly provided, again, with a cosmetics, it says, with food, a team of servants, and the best place. Again, if you're thinking from the surface level, this sounds really good, doesn't it? 
But if we step back and consider that hand, Esther was actually under a lot of pressure because this is not what she was acclaimed to. This is not the way that she was raised. Esther actually was also instructed by her adopted father, Mordecai, to keep her heritage and convictions a secret. Now, if you were a Jew, this is why this situation is very pressuring, and this is why the situation is actually not as glorious or glamorous as you may seem. Look what Jeremiah 4.30 says. By the way, Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord, warning the nation of Israel against these things, before they were beginning to, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, lavish themselves in, in, in ways in which were sinful. And so he says this as a warning to Israel, and he, sa he says, And you, O desolate one, what do you mean that you dress in scarlet, that you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint? In vain, you beautify yourself. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. What Jeremiah is saying, don't fall into this trap. It's essentially as if you can compare like you've heard the saying, they're fattening you up for the slaughter. You know, be careful of this. Beware of this. Ezekiel says the same, essentially. Verse 23, or um, excuse me, chapter 23 of Ezekiel, verse 40 to 42, he says, They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourselves with ornaments. You sat on a, a stately couch with a table spread before it, on which you had placed my incense and oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her and with men of the common sort. Drunkards were brought from the wilderness and they, were, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Now, if I stop there, and I will stop there because if we, complete, if we continue reading this passage, it actually continues on to say that the purpose behind all of this, all of this beautifying, this beautification process was really so that the person who was being beautified would be used for someone else's pleasure. And that's the G-rated version of that, okay? And so, again, there's the warning behind this, and and you know what? This actually sounds a lot like the situation that Esther's in. She probably would have heard these, for these prophets spoke this before the exile. And so I don't know what her convictions were at the time, but I know, I know this, that for a Jew, this is absolutely foreign, and this is something that she probably knew that wasn't good for her. How many times have you stepped into a situation and those red alert, those alarms go off because you know that that's not right, right? There's convictions that happen there, but at the same time, she's told to be quiet. She was commanded not to express her convictions, to keep it on the low. And so, again, it sounds like Esther's story as I read this from Ezekiel and from Jeremiah. Now, the Hebrew people, again, they've been warned about the situations like this, and they've been warned to abstain from them. And here she is, smack dab in the middle of it. This means, and this is why this is a potential problem for her, it means that Esther would have likely eaten unclean food and that she would have broken a number of ceremonial regulations as described in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And for what reason? Why is she here? Why is she risking her heritage? Why is she risking her faith? Well, again, perhaps there was a threat. And perhaps she did it simply because she needed to survive. You know, sometimes we do things because we feel like we don't have a choice. And sometimes we are uh, uh, willing to comply to situations simply because of the threat and the pressures that come from the world. And so I think it's safe to say that we do this a lot more often than we think. We often conceal our convictions in order to advance in this world.
We often uh, pretend to not know right versus wrong in order to be liked, in order to be accepted, and again, in order to advance maybe a promotion, maybe whatever it may be. We often disregard our convictions so that we may advance. Now, the result uh, of that, and I, I, I speak for myself, is often nothing of real value. And I, I am pretty confident to say that when we conceal our convictions and when we move according to the wisdom of the world and when we think that we should do or um, a, a compromise simply to advance, it often leads to nothing of real value. Instead, we end up losing the things that matter most, like conviction itself, like our faith, and sometimes people, right? And so we have to be super cautious and ask ourselves, wait a minute, is this worth a compromise, no. Now I'll tell you one thing, nothing is worth compromising our faith. Nothing is worth compromising our Lord Jesus. Nothing is worth uh, saying, yeah, I'd rather leave this behind in order to satisfy my personal gains and pleasures. Now again, this happens often because simply put, we're pressured by the things of this world. Romans 12, two tells us this, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is the word for us today. Do not conform to this world, but let us renew our minds according to the wisdom and the word of the Lord. And, and thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, who has made a way for us to be satisfied in him. We have really nothing to search other than him that would truly fill us, truly uh, uh, satisfy our deepest desires. Now, in regards to Mordecai and Esther's actions, I personally think that we can sympathize with them knowing that making the right decisions are generally very difficult, don't you think? Not just that, making the right decision in the right manner is not always easy. But is compromise with the world necessary? Absolutely not. It is okay, is it okay, excuse me, to do a little wrong as long as at the end it's okay? No, right? Now, uh, my wife and I have uh, had the privilege of leading youth groups in the past, and we used to use this analogy, and I'm gonna share it with you, and, and it's the brownie, the, the, the poop and the brownie, okay? Sometimes poop and brownie, I hate to say it to you, but they look similar, you know what I mean? And so we would use an, uh, this analogy and say, hey, what if someone served you a brownie and on the edge there was just a little bit of poop in it? You can't see it. It's no problem. In fact, why don't you just eat around it? You know it's there. Would you do it? That's the question. I think it's safe to say that most of us would be like, no, that thing is contaminated. There's no way I'm going to take a bite of that, even if it's just in that little corner. Yet we move and progress in life with the same kind of um, uh, mentality. We think, oh, there's only a little bit of junk in that. It's okay. I'll kind of just eat around it. I'll consume around it. And so I'll tell you this, when we do that, the more we do it, the more we're, we become acquainted to, to the poop. I hate to say it. And if you think about it, that's, we become filthy. We just think about it, really. Process that a little bit with me. And so the, the danger is that, again, sin becomes easier. It becomes easier. Convictions becomes less. And before we know it, we are totally consumed by the wisdom of the world, by the world itself. Now, I do not believe that Esther and Mordecai's strategy was also to finagle the way to the top. Now, if you've read ahead, you see that the Lord had positioned them there for something great. But at this moment, as we read now, I don't believe that they could even imagine that there was a potential or possibility for Esther to actually take the crown from Vashti, right? 
I don't think that anything that they were doing was in order for them uh, to gain selfishly. I think that they were simply just trying to survive. They were simply just trying to figure out what to do one step at a time. Um, and at this point, they had, again, no way, no way of knowing what God would do next. And likewise, we have uh, we, we too have compromised simply for the sake of survival. I think it's true for all of us, uh, and, and not necessarily for selfish gain, but yet God does not disqualify us, and that's the good news. Even if we've messed up in the past, even if we've really, really just blown it, He has not disqualified us. He positions us in, an un, in, a, in a beautiful place, as unworthy as we are, because God can use anyone. God can use anyone, anywhere, and anytime for his purposes. And so rather than, than condemnation, God actually blesses us with favor, which is the grace of God. And again, favor just ain't fair. It is a grace of God. And that's the next thing I want to hit on is God's favor. Verse 12 through 15, it reads this. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus or Xerxes, after... Um, being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman uh, went to the king in this way, she was giving whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, a different guy, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless, she was unless he, the king, delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, look at the favor that's over Esther. The daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's unit, uh, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Okay, so regardless of the reality that Esther was in a harem, she was still, um, it, she was still in a position where she was receiving God's favor. In fact, she won the lead eunuch's favor. Uh, he helped her. He helped advance her. That was a result of that. She was placed on a fast track onto a good place. And even though she's still, again, very much like a slave in a harem, she's not there by choice. It's not really a good place to be, guys. All right? She was still watched over the lord still expressed her grace and favor over him and in the and in the the midst of uh worldly pleasures because think about where she is god continues to show esther favor now we also learned that uh the beautification i don't know if you caught this but the i call it the, the beautification process was how long 12 months long that's a year they must have been in really bad shape don't you think like it take it took 12 months for these women now these women were like the most attractive weren't they in the 127 provinces and it, it still takes 100 and um, excuse me uh 12 12 months for them to be prepared to go through this beautification process and so that's a joke i don't think it's because they were ugly right but I think it was really conditioning. I think it was because they needed to be retrained. They needed to be accustomed and acclimated to be able to go from peasant or whatever it is that they were in to the, the king's royal palace. Now, this is, is, this is interesting. 
And because many times we are reconditioned as well, right? Many times we're put in situations and we forget our heritage. We forget the things that are important. We forget the word of the Lord and we're reconditioned to behave a certain way, to, to be a certain type. And in this particular case, each one of these women were being prepared according to the king's preference. Not according to theirs, it was according to the king's preference. Now everything, everything that they were, everything that they believed didn't matter at this point. It was just about Xerxes and what he was desiring. Now this is again, them being trained up to be as bougie as they could probably be because they probably didn't know how to behave this way. They probably didn't even know how to use a lot of the tools and utensils, etc., that was there. And, and the only thing that this 12-month-long process guaranteed was one night with the king. That's it. That's a lot of preparation for something that is probably very uh, unsuccessful at the end, right? And so the rest was up to you. And so we see that because Esther won the Lord's favor in the favor of Haggai, who was the king's eunuch. He was introduced to us initially as that. This guy probably knew Vashti. And because he's the king's eunuch, he knows the king, and he probably understood his personal preferences. And here she is now under the favor of Haggai, and he advises her and tells her, hey, this is what he likes, this is what he doesn't. In other words, he's really looking after her. She feels like, man, this woman would probably be a great option for her to rule as queen, right? Or to sit next to the king as queen. And so he gives her all of the advice that he possibly could give her, and she responds adequately, and she follows that advice. And so... She goes in and, and the king actually quite, is quite delighted in her. Now, here's the thing though. If you caught what was happening here, and I think it's very key. Xerxes was looking for women who were pure. He was looking for women who were unstained essentially. He was looking for the best. And what he did is he took them from all over the provinces. He brought them in. And then what did he do? He would defile them essentially. Now, if you're a young woman in a king's harem, this is your life. And then think about that. Think about the pressure, the deep scars to have to prepare for a year just so that you could be rejected eventually. Those, I would imagine, are extremely deep wounds that are inflicted in that person. And so he defiles these women, right? And so here comes uh, Esther, but she wins the favor of, of, um, of Xerxes. Now, I think that what's going on here is still very much happening today. Now, I wish with all my heart for this to have been improved today in the sense that people are not anymore looking to you know, satisfy others and not being themselves and not being uh, 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 just faithful to their convictions, but many of the same pressures of appearances still are out today. You know, And there's a lot of young women who are doing whatever they can just to be seen, just to be wanted. And it's heartbreaking. I don't go to the mall very often, but when I do, I'm always heartbroken. I don't know if you share that sentiment. Anytime that I go to the mall, I see young women who are just, you, you can tell that they're just longing for something of meaning. And it's really heartbreaking for me. And every time I, I walk out extremely, extremely sad, right, at the reality. But here's the good news, guys. And I really wanna share this. God is nothing like Xerxes. God is nothing like an ordinary man, in fact. You know, Xerxes, again, looking for a beautiful and pure bride. And God doesn't do that because he knows that there's no such thing. Instead, God makes us into a beautiful and pure bride through Jesus Christ. 
Now you think about that. You think about anything that, everything that's happened in our past, and some of us sometimes feel like we're unworthy, like we are defiled. Maybe there was a decision in the past, maybe ours or someone else's, but it affected us deeply. You know, God understands that, and the beauty about coming to Jesus Christ and his, you know, uh, 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 sacrifice of the cross is that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be ready to come to him. We don't have to go through this extensive preparation. We just need to come to him, and he does the rest. He does the purifying. He does the sanctifying, right? He's the one who turns us into a perfect bride, beautiful. He restores us, and he sanctifies us. Look at 1 John 3, 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, purification can only be accomplished by Christ. Nothing that we do in this world could ever make us pure. Only Christ can do that. And so as we're drawn into his presence, we are made clean. Uh, this, again, is not something that we need to wait to do. Sometimes we say, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. Well, you never can actually be ready. It is God who sanctifies us. It is God who really puts us in a position where we could say, yes, I am cleansed. I am redeemed. I have been made new. Amen? Amen. Now, we should absolutely praise him for that. So though Esther may have been faithless, I would say in the sense that she concealed her identity and her convictions, and though she was, uh, or maybe perhaps she even had fallen to the pressures and she ate the things that she didn't have to eat and she did the things that she didn't necessarily have to do, uh, she was still winning everyone's favor. And again, favor ain't fair. That's a grace of the Lord. People liked her, and so they accommodated her. And God was using pagan people to position Esther for his ultimate purpose, and I think that's awesome. Now, I don't see that Esther did anything to deserve this, but God daily bestows his favor on those who do not deserve it and could never earn it. That's what he does. Just look around. Every single one of you guys have fallen short of the glory of God. And yes, the Lord has died for us. Christ died for sinners. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the Lord's favor. That is grace. Favor ain't fair, right? Uh, now, Esther goes on and she progresses. She follows the advice of Haggai, who probably knew the king's personal preference. And the Bible tells us that she asked for nothing except that which was uh, advised from Haggai. And so she wins the favor of the king as well. And so that's where uh, uh, we see that the Lord had been moving everything according to his will, according to his purpose. He was using every situation, every scenario that had happened uh, to position Esther in this place. Now, here's another th just note that I wanted to point it out. Mordecai no longer had direct care of Esther, but she was never left outside of God's protection. And so she won the favor of Haggai. So Haggai took care of her in a way that Mordecai couldn't. Now, as a father, I'm always comforted when someone's looking out for my, my children or, or my family, right? And so this is the favor of the Lord over Esther. His grace, uh, again, is for our growth. His grace is for his purpose of advancing the gospel for the expansion of the kingdom. I want to make this very clear to us. Sometimes we think, yes, the Lord's grace is awesome. It's good. And therefore I can go on sinning and he'll forgive me. And because God is loving and forgiving, it doesn't matter what I do. I can just kind of YOLO you know, and then come to the Lord in repentance, right, and regret. But that's not how it works. In fact, Romans 6, uh, 1 through 2 makes it clear. He says, Paul says this to the church of Rome. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we do or, or, or how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this does not give us license to go on sinning. This does not give us license to compromise in our faith. But it also, but, but what it does do is it, uh, it makes it clear that Christ has not disqualified us. He has the ability and is the only one who's able to redeem us and to purify us. He's the only one who positions us, regardless of our past, with purpose. And that's the last section here, and I'll go through this one briefly. Verses 16 through 18 says this, And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which was the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all of the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. I don't know if you caught that, so I'm gonna read it again. This is what Xerxes did. He gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast, and he granted remission of taxes to the provinces and gave royal generosities. Like this, wait, this sounds like a different guy, doesn't it? Remember chapter one? Like now something is turning around, something is different in this guy's life. Something uh, is happening that is really uncharacteristic and the Lord had positioned Esther for such a time as this, for such a reaction. What I see here is the result is that God is really transforming hearts already. He's already moving, he's positioning. And so we can ask, what is he doing? What was he, what was, what, what is happening here? The fact of the matter is that unbeknownst to Esther, he, she was being positioned for a greater purpose than she could even imagine. And I can say this confidently. We are being positioned right now for a purpose that we perhaps cannot imagine. We are positioned in a, in a place right now. Like Think about where you are, whether it be work, friends, school, um, your social media. Think of those who are in your immediate sphere of influence. You have been positioned where you are for such a time as this. There's purpose behind that. And again, the purpose purpose is to expand the kingdom of God, to continue to, 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 to proclaim the gospel, the good news, because the fact of the matter is there are a lot of broken hearts out there, broken souls who are longing for salvation, who are longing for purity, who are longing for redemption, and the Lord has, favor, has bestowed his favor on us that we may go and we will proclaim the good news of what he has done and what he is, is that only he can offer. And so that is the purpose that we have. That is who we are. And again, step back and think of this reality. Who is now queen? Esther, Hadassah, a Jew, is now the queen of Persia. This makes no sense. You think about this logically, right? Esther was an exile. She was an orphan girl. You would think if you really consider her resume, she was not the, the right candidate according to her resume. But here she is now in a position of queen, a position of influence. In chapter one, we learned that that seat had a lot of influence, right? Vashti had a lot of influence. See, see what the Lord does? You see what the Lord does? He is able to change our situations and our circumstances and position us with a purpose that's much higher and greater than his. Now, this is not the first time that a Jew gets in the position of royalty. In fact, Joseph went through that situation, right? He went from being a uh, uh, you know, the, the son of a shepherd, <laughs> something like that. And he was made second in command only to the Pharaoh, which was the largest empire at the time, Egypt. And then Moses also becomes a prince of Egypt. And so we see that for God, none of these things are impossible. He is able to do with anybody what he will do. 
In fact, he was able to begin to change Xerxes' heart around. Now, has Xerxes come to full sanctification? Not at all, but something is starting here, you know, and he's positioned Esther to be that influence. Now, again, just think about where the Lord has brought you. What have you been through? Where are you going? And I, I just want to encourage you that you have been placed where you are for such a time as this. And so let's be good stewards. Let's not live selfishly, but rather be a good shepherd, a good steward of the things that the Lord has given us and lead people according to the will of the Lord. Just as Joseph, the son of, uh, of Jacob did, he was betrayed by his brothers. But every step of the way, he trusted in the Lord and the Lord used him. Little did he know that he would be positioned for a purpose, a purpose to save his people. In fact, Joseph's response to those who caused him to be where he would have never chosen to be himself, said this in Genesis chapter 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as um, as they are today. Now, the same thing with Jesus. The religious leaders hated him. They despised him. They wanted to shut him up. They wanted to kill him. But little did they know that this would actually position Jesus in the perfect place that he would be our atoning sacrifice, that he would be our substitution, that he would be our savior. And see, these circumstances are actually well intended and God's hand is in everything and we are being positioned perfectly for a time such as this. Now, before we close this, wrap it up, I want to give you just a few takeaways, okay? Make sure that we have this. One, Xerxes looked for purity and beauty. And again, he took it from many, leaving a stain of shame on many young women. But Jesus takes our shame and makes us beautiful and pure. I think that's just so good for us to know, for us to cling on. Look at what Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ephesians 5.26 is something similar. That he might sanctify her, meaning the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and that she might present uh, the church to himself with splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish it is christ who purifies us who makes us beautiful amen takeaway number two regardless of our past failures regardless of what's happening in the, in, in behind us god can still use us and he positions us with purpose let us not forget that like he did peter you think about who peter was that rascal you know, sometimes you wonder, Lord, why did you choose to use that guy the way that you did? Peter just fell short time after time. He's the man who denied the Christ thrice, right? And yet he lifted him up. He positioned them perfectly for purpose, and he becomes a prominent leader of the early church. God can do anything with us whenever he wants, however he wants, and for his glory. And I have a final takeaway, and this one's for the kiddos, okay? Now, here's the fact of the matter. There's a lot of pressure in this world, Right? A lot of pressure to be cool, to look a certain way, to be popular, to be liked, to get the likes. You know what I'm saying? Here's your takeaway. Quit thinking about how you can be cool according to the world. Quit worrying about what people think. Instead, think about what God says is cool. Here's what God says is cool. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things now parents it is your job to explain these list of words to your kids okay they probably are going to scratch their heads and wonder why well, i wonder what commendable means so that's for you and so again 
just in closing, I, I, I want to emphasize the reality that we do live in a dark and fallen world. I want to emphasize the reality that there's a lot of pressures here. I want to emphasize the reality that perhaps we've fallen short, and we have, and we maybe think that we can no longer be used. Maybe we think we're too wounded, too trampled, too uh, just messed up, but the Lord has not discounted us. He can continue to use us, and not only that, He's constantly positioned us for purpose, for such a time as this. And so with that, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We'll close in a word of prayer, and then we'll actually take communion together today. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, just continue onward, Father, for we understand that you have positioned us with purpose and that you're currently working in our lives through us, Father. We ask that you would help us be strong, that you would help us be um, uh, just completely well-grounded and founded in your word, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for we know that it is the power of, of, of God through Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus. I ask for your strength that we would not uh, compromise to the pressures of this world, Lord Jesus, but that we would continue to be used for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.